Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Well, today is Palm Sunday, and uh, this week is, is really as we finish this series called The Turn and head towards Easter, it's a week that we're invited to participate in, not simply to mark our calendars with or or to remember, but as we go through these five practices this year um, and kind of try to center our life in the idea that we're called to be participants, not spectators. And so as we come into Holy Week, it's really to take your ordinary day-to-day life, but let the grand story, the overarching story of Christ's passion, his death, his resurrection, to mark our lives, to center our lives and our thoughts and our ideas. And so this is a week for us to participate in. Um, Palm Sunday is always kind of special in my mind. It was the first Sunday that I ever went to church was Palm Sunday, and that was 20-some years ago. And I had never been to church before, literally thought they were going to read my palm, um, had no idea what the palm thing was, probably for two or three years. And then, then I asked, I got the courage to be like, why is it called palm? They're like, well, the palm, tree, leaves. I'm like, that's not what I would have named it, I thought. <laughs> but nobody asked me. Um, so today, we're going to take a moment and we're going to look at a passage that is familiar for some of you. It's this moment before... Jesus is arrested, and he goes into this space called the Garden of Gethsemane. If you've ever had this in-between time, time where you've faced something agonizing, something scary, maybe it's the day before the memorial service for a loved one or the graveside service, the day before a surgery that has you know, not great odds. The day before you meet with the divorce lawyers. That that moment before the actual event is this space of quiet stillness, sorrow, agony, all kinds of emotions and helplessness kind of show up on your doorstep in that moment. What's beautiful about the gospel is it gives us a window into the life of Jesus. And it's a window of honesty where we see the raw humanity of this one that was fully God and yet fully human. And he goes into that moment and we get a picture of that. And how he takes this agony and sorrow of a broken world and turns it into joy. And so turn with me to Matthew chapter 26, um, verse 36. Because it's, and we'll look at how Jesus goes into a moment that's so much deeper and bigger than our agonizing moments, and yet we can relate to them because we felt that type of sorrow before. Verse 36, it says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. 
And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus has this moment of anguish and and really just a flood of emotions that overwhelm him to the point where he feels physically like the life has been taken out of him. Some of you have had those kind of agonizing moments where you just felt like you can't even get up, um, where you're just going to crash, you're going to pass out, you're going to fall. And, and what we see in this first section as he takes Peter, uh, he takes the 12 and then he takes these three, which he, are kind of the closest ones to him, and they bring him along and he says to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here with me, keep watch with me. And you get this picture of the agony of sorrow. When we think of grace and the cross, we recognize that there is nothing cheap about it. We cheapen it in our own minds sometimes. We take our sin lightly and, we, and therefore we take grace lightly. It's sort of like, well, just do whatever you want to do because God's just going to slap you on the back and say, hey, buddy, you're forgiven. But the truth is there is an immense cost to it. There was nothing cheap about this grace that God gave us in Christ. There is this sorrow that takes place before the ultimate sorrow. It's a sorrow of separation For the first time ever, the son would be separated from the father. For all eternity, the father and son have been together. And then he takes on flesh, and now he will become sin for us, the scriptures say. Not a sin, but the entity of sin. And the father is pleased to crush him and pour his wrath out on sin. And there's this huge element of separation that he's about to experience that he never has. There's this intense sorrow. It's a sorrow of suffering, uh, of being beaten uh, to the point of death. That he, this bread and this wine that is given to us, he's about to face the literal breaking of his body, the literal shedding and pouring out of his blood. There's a sorrow that he's going to enter the death of all deaths. The perfect, sinless son of the father will become the separated, the disdained, the entity of sin, and ultimately the death of all death. As he sits in this moment, there's this immense agony that the, the, the largeness of what's about to go down just hits him. So when you think about that cheap grace, you recognize that everything that you and I get to participate in, when you believe with your heart that God loves you, 
when you believe that you've been accepted, when you believe that when you go from this body that you will be with him in heaven, all of that comes at an immense cost. Which is why you can never reduce Jesus down to just a nice guy, which culture for ages and ages has wanted to do. He was enlightened, he's a good teacher, he's these things. No, there's nothing good about a guy that goes around saying that he's a son of a father, Uh, of heaven that he's going to die and raise from the dead, that guy is a liar or he's, he's kind of out of his mind. There is a deep cost to the benefit of you and I entering into being sons and daughters of God. And in this moment, that cost is face to face with Jesus's reality. And so it brings up this incredible Sorrow. Look with me at verse 39. He says, going a little, little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, Father, my Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. In this next kind of picture into this garden space, we see the agony of surrender, of what it really looked like to let that human will that that so desires self-protection to be surrendered to the Father's will, the divine will, that so desires your salvation. And so this wrestling match takes place because he's surrendering not just to the Father's will, he surrenders his divine power that the Son of God, the one who spoke creation into place is going to be betrayed and handed over by Judas, this little weasel of a guy that used to like rip money off from the till, right? Like he's going to be taken captive by somebody like that, the creator. He's surrendering that power. He surrenders this privilege of what it means to be the son of the father. The privilege that, that would uh, bring the world to worship and see his glory and instead he'll be mocked and spit upon and cursed at. No sense of uh, privilege, just disdain. It's the sorrow of surrender in terms of his, his position. You think about the king of kings is going to stand before Herod, who is a, Herod was a fake king who purchased his way onto Israel's fake throne of the time during Roman occupation. And he'll have to stand before Herod, the true king of Israel, Standing as a captive before the fake one. He has to surrender that position. 
He's going to stand before the high priest. The great high priest, Jesus, will stand before this fake high priest who essentially buys his way into office and be tried by him for blasphemy. He'll stand before Pilate. The superpower of the world of Rome is nothing compared to the all-powerful God of the universe. And Pilate will tell him, do you not realize I have the power to free you or to kill you? He'll have to listen to that. So in this moment, he understands that for God to fully pay for the sins of the world, he will take them upon himself. That the the theological word is propitiation. Say it with me, it's super fun. Propitiation. Yeah, which simply means that it's paid in full, that it's completely taken care of. And that when the Father pours out this cup of wrath over all your sin, my sin, the sin from Genesis 3 to the end of the world, the son is the one that drinks that cup. And so in this moment of the garden, there's this agony of surrender, and we get a picture of what it looks like. He's saying, Father, can you take the cup from me? Is that possible? Yeah. And then he says, but not my will, your will. Then he goes away, and he comes back, and then he says, Father, if it's not possible, unless I drink it, May your will be done. You see him get closer and closer and closer to that surrender. And you can understand maybe what that surrender is like in a very small way. Nothing to the extent of what Jesus is feeling. But in that moment of agony and your own powerlessness over your circumstances, there is this sense where we're not surrendering like Jesus, but there is a sense that we're maybe embracing, surrendering to what is. And trusting God with it. And we're invited into that by a God who knows exactly, and in fact, way, in a much larger way, what that type of surrender feels like. You are never alone in it. And so from there, Jesus gets up from this place of agonizing prayer and he makes this critical act of selfless obedience. This final turn, as we've been studying the turn, where he turns toward the cross one final time. It says, then he returned to the disciples and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This, this sense of courage, this sense of uh, obedience that comes from him surrendering to the will of God, that something happened in that garden where the human agony was turned into obedience for you and me. And in a real sense, the agony that Jesus faced in the garden turns into his obedience so that you and I could experience his joy. 
Jesus Christ, when we go through this week, his death and resurrection, his grief, his authentic grief before the Father um, gets turned into a joy that can never be taken away from you or I, ever. The hope, the power of the New Testament church came from this reality, this week, this moment where Jesus turns to face the cross so that he can die for death, die for sin, so that, so that all the brokenness that we experience in this world is simply a shadow of the thing, not the final thing. Because he took the real thing upon himself. So we experience sorrow, we experience agony, we experience grief, but it is not without hope, and we come to it as those who follow the one who has conquered it. And so you can have a joy that is so much bigger. Here's, here's what he says about turning grief into joy. In John 16, as he speaks with these disciples before he goes to this garden of prayer, he says, um, look, in a little while you're not gonna see me anymore, and then after a little while you'll see me. And the disciples are going, I don't know what he's talking about. What's he mean by that? What's he mean because I'm going to the Father, yada, yada, yada. And so they keep asking, and Jesus sees. Like, they want to ask him, but they're kind of like, we should pretend like we get it. Um, it's really nothing's changed. We, that's how all of us act. When somebody's talking about God, you're like, totally. <laughs> then you get away with one other person. Well, I have no idea what he meant by so Jesus sees that they want to ask him, and he says, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me? Truly I tell you, you will weep and you will mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby's born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you're not gonna ask me for anything. You, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for it in my name. Ask and you receive, your joy will be complete. And so what frames this Gethsemane moment is this hope that grief will turn to joy, that our joy will be made complete. It's, it, it, it is a joy that goes through agony and becomes joy. It's not a, a facade of joy that tries to escape or go around or pretend that the garden and the cross doesn't exist, which I think Christianity often gets sort of stereotyped in, that we're all just fake people who smile and act sort of otherworldly when the world itself is broken and going crazy, when life is broken. It's the difference between a, a Jesus type of joy and um, what I always call cheerleader joy. Cheerleader joy, like when we were losing 42 to nothing and you looked over the cheerleaders and they're like, 
yay, this is awesome, right? They're going, victory, victory. You're like, no, survive. That's all we're trying to do is like not die on this field. And they're just smiling and pom-poms are going. And, it, and it's kind of like I think the world is on the field going, this sucks, we're losing the game. And they look over at the church and we're like, yay. And it's like they're not watching the same show, right? The, the joy that Jesus gives us is a joy that is on the field, is in the depths of anguish. He enters the depths of anguish and death more than anyone in the world ever has. And yet through death, he brings a joy that overcomes the world, a joy that's bigger than the world, a joy that the world can't crush or touch, and he gives it to us. Which means that we can enter into those places too. And we don't have to be fake about it. We can be honest about it. But we also don't have to be without hope and without joy in it. Because it is the shadow of the thing that we have to walk through. Because the actual thing was overcome by Jesus. Jesus' journey away from the Father to the cross and back to the Father brings us the full measure of his joy. There was a reason that he did it, right? There's a reason that we're going through this week and we'll hear the story. And it wasn't just so that he could be seen as, aren't I great? But there was a prize involved in turning creation back to the Father. And you're the prize. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, scorning its shame. That you and I belong to him. He actually gets joy from that. And that you belong to him should give you joy. That you've been brought into his love for the Father and the Father's love for him. So it's this joy that surpasses the temporary happiness of the world. It, it's a joy that can only be real and valid, though, if it comes from someone who, who has overcome the world, a, a joy that comes from beyond the world. Like if we said, hey, you get a year of free cable, uh, that's... Yeah, that's awesome, right? That's world joy. Uh, uh, you struck it rich, whatever. But, but worldly joy fades, right? That new car that was so awesome starts leaking oil. And you're like, wow, that, that happens, I guess. Uh, the cable bill actually does show up in six months. And you realize, oh, all those channels aren't free anymore. But... This joy that he's talking about is a joy that the world can't crush or steal or take away. It surpasses the temporary happiness of the world because it comes from one who is beyond the world. He says, I'm coming to you now. He's praying to the Father. But I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. We're supposed to be people who live with a deep-seated sense of joy because of all that Christ has accomplished. Now, 
Jesus turns agony, the agony of the world, our own agony, the agony of sin, and he turns it into joy. But, but for many of us, that feels really, really hard to touch, to grasp, to get hold of. And, and as you study joy in the New Testament, kind of post-resurrection, there are some actual really surprising characteristics to it. The first is fear. Okay, let me read this to you. This is after the resurrection, and it says, So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him. They clasped his feet. They worshiped him. He says, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. I love that phrase, afraid, yet filled with joy. Because this kind of joy, like to, to really put the full weight of your heart into it, it brings up fear. It's like, is this true? Like, we're talking about a man raising from the dead. It's not an everyday occurrence. It doesn't happen all the time, right? And, and so there's this sense that this joy surpasses the world's sort of joy-crushing power, but it's so foreign to us because that's what we're familiar with, a joy that can just escape us or be crushed or be taken away. And it overwhelms our senses and our emotions, and so it brings fear with it. They're afraid. Um, if you've ever seen, like Eugene Peterson tells the story that uh, they were on vacation one time and they were staying in the chalet in Montana or Wyoming and there was grizzly bears outside and they were probably from here to the lobby, let's say. And him and his kids and they all get out there and they're sort of like, wow, this is awesome. And then the bears start moving a little closer and then they're like, we should go back in the house, right? <laughs> it's this joy, but there's this fear that's mixed with it. Like, that's pretty... Oh, okay, let's go. And so imagine you go to a funeral and three days later the person knocks on your door, right? Especially if they start with greetings. That would freak me out because I think that, I don't like that. I don't like the way they say greetings. That, nobody says that. I'd be like, Poof, shut the door. Uh, who's there? It was Jesus. He said greeting. greetings. I was like, ah, you're scaring me. So, so, yeah, creepy. Um, but it's this fear mixed with joy. Like, you would be so stoked to have that person back and yet so afraid because it's so beyond. And so fear mixed with just joy is normal. I think for most of us, we just go, I, I don't get that. I don't get that joy, so... It's not for me. It is for you, but you have to push into the fear that's there, the scare of it, right? Don't be afraid, he says. Don't be afraid, but go tell my disciples, right? That joy is yours, so push through that fear. Another interesting piece um, of this is that so he, he raises from the dead, he shows himself, and everybody's seen him but Thomas. And Thomas is this great modern Portlander, right? He's completely cynical, completely skeptical, and everybody's been like, well, Jesus rose from the dead, we've seen him. He's like, yeah, I'm not buying it. 
Uh, he's on a fixie bike. He's like, I don't, you know, I don't. He's got his beanie on. He's totally, I'm, I'm not buying this. And then it says that when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him some fish. They did not believe it because of joy and amazement. That this unbelief accompanies this kind of joy. It's like, is it, it's too good to be true, right? You will see that brother, that sister who has gone to be with Jesus again. You will see him face to face. Like your past is forgiven. Your sins are forgotten. Your healing is coming. That, that resurrection joy of Jesus is beyond the scope of our natural understanding. And so there is a sense that, it, that disbelief and joy go together. It's sort of like when the plane is just landing and it's bouncing on the tarmac. And it's sort of like, I totally get it, and I believe I'm full of joy. And then, boom, we're back up in the air again. You're like, I don't know. I feel like a goofball. Like, really? And then, oh, yeah, I get it. And it just kind of does this for 15 to 20 years. <laughs> right? It, it goes together like that in the moment, this disbelief because of joy. I love it that the unbelief is because of joy. That this joy is so big that it would push you beyond the scope of what you can believe. So it's that it's too good to be true kind of feeling. It's too good to be true. But it's more true than anything that this world could bring against us. It is this sense of a joy that is just as honest if not more so than the agony of the garden. That the resurrection joy that we get is just as honest. And it allows you to be afraid. It allows you to doubt. It allows you to do all of that while simultaneously embracing it for yourself. You don't have to be cheerleader joy. You can be disciple joy. And that joy is really authentic. And very powerful, but beyond our senses, beyond the scope of what we can touch and feel at times. So this week, this week is an invitation for us to participate in this story, to not be afraid, but to go and tell, to to embrace the joy that he gives us because he has embraced our agony, our sorrow, our death. And and to not do that is to miss, to miss, to not participate. It means that there's people that you would wanna tell, people that you wanna invite, and yes, there's fear and joy and doubt and joy and all that's there, and for many of you here today, that this joy is for you. And so you're invited to this table A table that in many ways was prepared, settled on in that garden before the Father as he wrestled in prayer. 
But for his joy, the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So his body was literally broken. His blood was literally shed so that you could have the full measure of his joy. There'll be people at the doors today that are ready to pray, willing, wanting to pray with you and for you. And so today, if you're standing at that place of disbelief and joy, if you're sitting in your own garden of agony and God's saying, I'm inviting you to trust that you're, you're going through the shadow of the thing because I've overcome the actual thing. Um, bring those prayers to brothers and sisters that want to pray with you. But bring the full weight of your heart to this table today. Let it bounce up and down on that kind of tarmac of faith. Disbelief and joy, fear and joy. But, but keep coming after it, right? It might seem like that freaky grizzly bear, but, but there's a beautiful life of faith beyond this world that Jesus has for you. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, we just ask that you would meet us by your spirit at this table. Meet us at these doors in prayer. We come with uh, grateful hearts and yet sort of eyes wide open like those disciples who can't quite comprehend that something this good could be true and true for us. And so in the midst of this world, would we, would you just let us taste that joy? In the midst of fear and unbelief, would you allow us to, to, let, to feel that joy? And I thank you that that is why you came, that's why you died. And one of the great benefits of this sacrifice is that you give us your joy. Help us, God, to to apprehend it today by faith. We pray in your name, amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amagodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.